Thank you. Good morning, North Boulevard. It's good to see Yeah, please do say that again. Good morning, North Boulevard. Thank you. It's good to hear your voices. It's good to see everyone here today, east, west, and online as well. And we appreciate that. Thank you, Sean, for that introduction. That's very kind of you. And yes, uh, I've attempted retirement twice. hasn't worked so far, but uh, I keep coming back. So I asked my wife uh, when, when I was leaving Cookville and Tech and preaching there, I said, uh, where do you want to go? You followed me all, you know, all my career of preaching and so forth. Where do you want to go? She goes, I want to go back to North Boulevard. And I said, oh, cool. I love North Boulevard. Let's go back there. So we came back here and I said, oh, by the way, why North Boulevard and all the other places we've been, all the other churches are great too. And she says, well, North Boulevard, number one, I've got a lot of friends we've had for years. Raise our kids here. This is a special place to be. And number two, um, uh, we just love what's happening here at North Boulevard. We want to be, she wants to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. And number three, she says, finally, I want to hear some good preaching. I said, you know, you could have left the third one out, <laughs> but we do miss David Young. Amen. He is, a, he is a great preacher. I don't know if I've been to any church where I have not invited him to come down to speak, and uh, it's always been a blessing, and he's always such a blessing to all of us in so many ways, so many ways. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We sang that song. That's a, a song from Psalms, and it's about Jesus coming, and he's come and brought great joy to us in the world. We're beginning our series on the book of Philippians, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians 1. We'll be there in just a second, and if you have some notes, there should have gotten a uh, little book like this that you can write notes in and follow along, and you're welcome to those as well. I'm going to begin in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, the church of Philippi is being established on Paul, one of Paul's missionary journeys, and as he's going there, uh, he's had a pretty good day, morning, but by the afternoon, it's not turned into such a good day for him and as well as Silas. They had been stripped, beaten, attacked, dragged around and flogged, and then thrown into prison, shackled by their feet. It's about midnight, and you've been through a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, and what do you want to do on a day like that? Hey, Silas, you want to sing? <laughs> you want to pray? That's what they're doing. They're singing and praising God at midnight after a tough day in this world. There was something about following Jesus. There's something about knowing Jesus. There's something about trusting Jesus with all our hearts that gives us great joy because all things work together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Amen? That's what happens. And that's what continued to happen. And so we fast forward about 10 or 11 years down the road, and Paul is in prison again, this time in a Roman imprisonment. And in that Roman imprisonment, what is happening is Paul again is singing praises of joy to God. You would think after all he's been through, through all his missionary journeys, through the shipwrecks, the heartaches, the, the beatings, stoning, everything else he's been through in life, you'd think after 10 years plus years of this, you get a little worn out by it, but instead of being worn out, Paul is actually energized by it. And while he's in prison, he writes this letter. It's an incredible letter he shares with us. And this is what we learn from the book of Philippians as we start. Philippians is actually the most joyful, upbeat, and personal letter Paul writes in the New Testament. He is just incredibly joyful in it. In fact, the word joy appears 16 times in 104 verses or four chapters, if you will. That's a lot. By the way, I used to teach math, so you're going to get numbers sometimes when I preach. I just have a fascination with numbers. 
be, with, be patient with me, write the numbers down. You might find something useful in it. But 16 times is a lot of times to be singing praises and giving thanks to God through all the things he's going through. Also revealed at the near center of this letter in Philippians chapter 3 or 2, we'll get to next week, at least Tony will, is the center message of the whole book of Philippians. Without, in fact, this is all of Paul's theology throughout all his books. Is right here in this song. It's a beautiful song. It's a song that's being shared with uh, all the people. Uh, listen, how many of you like to sing? I mean, you can't, you can't be here and not like to sing. This is a beautiful place to sing. We all like to sing. How many of you sing in showers? Wow, there's a lot more in second service singing in the shower. That's cool. So how many of you sing to your children at night sometimes? So uh, whenever uh, I'm with our grandson, Henry, and, and Reed will always say, uh, now who do you want to put you to bed? You want, you want me, your mommy, you want Grammy or Papa to put you to bed? Because put you to bed means reading stories, singing songs. And uh, I, uh, sadly, I'm the last person on the list he wants to sing songs with. But, but the first he wants to play with. <laughs> so he always picks Grammy or Judy for this job almost every time first and then begins the negotiation with my grandson when he's getting to put him dead and she says okay how many books you want to read he says five and she says I'll read two he goes three okay three then the next negotiation comes the singing how many songs you want to sing ten he puts both hands up ten ten songs she says no not ten songs not ten songs and he and she says five songs he goes seven songs she does no five songs. Well, she'll start singing. I'm not kidding you. About a half hour later, she comes out, raspy voice. She sung 10 songs to Henry. He got, he got what he wanted. Everybody does sing. If you've ever been driving down the road, look to the side and see somebody in their car just bebopping along and singing to something, you probably did it yourself, haven't you? You just sing in the car. We just love to sing in the car. And then you pull to the stop sign and you're standing next, you're right there next to that person. You look over, you see them, they're, they're singing their hearts out and they look over you and all of a sudden their countenance changes. Okay, I'm done here. There's no shame in singing. It's just in us. It's part of our DNA. God designed us to sing. God designed us to be joyful. Look at this, if you will, at the center of this gospel. I don't know if you could read this very well, but let me share this with you. This is the center. This is the Messiah song, and it's a beautiful. The first three verses talks about what, what Jesus did. The next three verses talk about what God did, how God lifted him up. But in this, Paul expresses his full confidence and conviction of who Jesus is. And in doing so, he says, Jesus is God. He's a selfless servant, sacrificial Savior, now exalted the right hand of the throne of God. And this is really a poem or a song. Uh, some commentators say it may have been a song they sang at baptisms. It's a beautiful thing. Sean will have it all mic'd up and ready probably in about a month or so of, with all his talent and ability to do this for us. But when we sing this song as a body of believers, we sing this song ourselves, you'll see later on in chapter 3 or chapter 2 and verse 15 that we begin to when we sing the song, shine like stars in the universe. We get to show off the glory of God, the grace of Christ, the wonder of His love in our lives. Unfortunately, in life, too many times people die with their music still in them. At least that's what Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, which I think is a great quote. It's a real sad thing because they have not discovered the love of Christ. They've not discovered the joy of, of stepping out in faith. They've not uh, experienced the joy of hope in their life. And too many times they get to the end of life and they miss this. They miss this wonder of God because you are created in the image of God. More about that in a minute. 
This happened for Saul, who became Paul later. Saul was singing the wrong verse or the wrong song, and he encountered Jesus and began to sing a new song. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, later on in the next book over, or chapter over, if you will, he gives a resume of all the things he's accomplished. That's a pretty impressive resume. And he says at the end of that, this is dung. It's meaningless. It's worthless to me because he discovered a greater treasure. He discovered the joy of his salvation. And he says this, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his rising. I want to know sharing in his suffering, being conformed to his death. I want Christ more than anything in all the world. Once you experience and taste of the love of Christ, you don't want anything else. Everything else is superficial. Everything else is meaningless for Paul. In fact, he explains why this is so significant for him in another prison letter in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, when he says these words, even before the world was made, did you hear that? Even before the world was made, even before the first solar system came into place, the first sun or star came into existence that God breathed so many of. Before all of that happened, God loved us. Chew on that for just a second. Not only did He love us, He chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in His eyes. Number three, God decided in advance, in advance, to adopt us, knowing full well when He created us, we're going to mess up. But He made provision for that even before the world was made, through Jesus Christ. This God chose to do, knowing all of that, God still chose to do it. And you know what? In that choice, it said it gave him great pleasure or great joy. It gave God great joy to bring you into the world. It gives God great joy. It gave Jesus great joy to give us the opportunity to walk with him and be united to him and be reformed into his image in life. So he goes on to say, this is what God did. This is what we get to do in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship. We are God's poetry. We're God's verse in his song, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's given us a joyful purpose in life. Um, it's better to give than to receive. Amen. You live long enough. You know that. If you have children, you've experienced that. If you have grandchildren, ah, that's even more fun <laughs> to do that in life. It's such a blessing to serve in so many ways. And we find the joy in that. And that's what he calls to do. It's a joyful song, but you need to step out in faith to enjoy it, to experience in life. What happens sometimes that robs us of our joy is simply this. We don't allow the distractions, and there's a lot of those in this world, a lot of voices in this world, a lot of activities in this world, the busyness of our life to stop you from joyfully singing the music God has for you and I. So let's talk about joy for just a second, and we'll get into the text. Where does that come from? Paul never really says in the book of Philippians and defines joy for us, and he doesn't give you a step one, two, and three to learn how to have joy in your life. He doesn't do that. Paul simply just exudes joy. All you see when you read every time he talks about joy, you're just seeing Paul sharing an expression of living his faith out loud. That's what you see, which is pretty incredible. So here joy, I think, naturally follows and flows from love. That's how I would define it. As a fruit of the Spirit in a believer's life. If you go back to the fruit of the Spirit, it is, remember this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. There is a progression there. If you've never gone back and do that, go back sometime today and look at that progression. 
You have joy because you've experienced the love of Christ. Because you've experienced the love of Christ and you've, you've started living out your faith and joy, you begin to develop peace in your life. You begin to experience peace. Because you've experienced that peace, all of a sudden you become more patient. When you become more patient, then all of a sudden you're more kind to other people. Then you experience the goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's a progression to get. So if you want to get down to self-control, you have to start at the top. You want to get any of those, you have to start at the top. God is love. You have to start there. And that's that fruit. And that's where this joy comes from. For each of us, it is Jesus' joyous song here in the center of our hearts that lifts us above the complications, the complicated and broken world we live in. Remember, joy is the love of Christ expressed through his selfless sacrifice and hope of the resurrection. Didn't Steve Flat do an excellent job last week talking about come back, talking about he's arisen and reminding us of that? Every single day. Put a little sticky note on your, on your uh, mirror in your bathroom. He is risen. We should be reminded of that. This gives us great joy. That should be the frame of our hearts and minds. In fact, let me remind you of it one more time. This is what they felt like when it happened. And today, it's how we should feel too. Because what it meant for them, it means for us. He is risen indeed. Let's get into the text here and be reminded of what this joy is and what we just saw again and be reminded of how much God loves us and what God did for us from the very beginning before time even existed. He, two major thoughts I want to cover with you in the text here. One is experience the joy of living this Jesus story. And number two is expressing the joy of, the, of Jesus' story. So let's talk about experiencing this right now as he shares these three insights. So here's the first one. In Philippians 1 and verse 18, he says this, but what, does it, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether by, from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, he says. What we're recognizing is the sovereignty of God in this first verse. He's talking about when I was in prison, that simply became a pulpit for me. It just gave me an opportunity to share with the, with the guards about Jesus, just like he did in Acts chapter 16 with his, the Philippian jailer. He was getting to do it now with Roman soldiers or Roman jailers, if you will. He was doing it whether somebody was preaching Christ with false motives or good motives. He didn't care about the motives. What he cared about was Christ was being preached. He didn't care about the prison. He didn't care about the struggles, the conflict. 
yeah, they wait on him, but he let it go. You know why? Because ultimately, this is what we know as children of God. God is on his throne. He has not abdicated his throne, number one. Number two, God still cares. God still reaches down into human history and still engaged and involved in the lives of every single one of us. He cares about you right now very much. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That is something we hold to. So recognizing the sovereignty of God is the first thing. Here's the second thing he shares with us. Relying on Christ. He says it in the very next verse. For I know that through your prayers, God's provision of the Spirit of Christ, and what has happened to me will turn out to my deliverance. You notice I highlighted three words there because he's making three really poignant points about relying on Christ. The first of that is prayers. For the Philippians. Prayer matters, folks. Prayer is meaningful. We pray. This is a culture of prayer at North Boulevard. We have 20 different organizations kind of going on here at North Boulevard daily, weekly, monthly, annually. That gives you an opportunity to pray together. You have a prayer life that goes every single day. That's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. It's an opportunity to commune with God. There are five different words for prayer in the New Testament. It's a big deal. Here, Paul is encouraging the Philippians to pray for him. In fact, there's probably not a letter written by Paul that he doesn't appeal for prayers from the believers. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to be prayed for. It's a beautiful thing when somebody gets a text, hey, I prayed for you today. You can do that today, by the way. It's a beautiful thing when you send a note to somebody, I'm praying. It's a powerful thing. Here's what he says in Ephesians 1, again, a prison letter. And I pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and request. And with this in mind, be alert and always be praying for all the Lord's people. We're encouraged to pray. Prayer is powerful. Number two, provision of the Spirit of God. That's the providential care of God. That's the sovereignty of God working our lives. And we know that all things, as we say, work together for good. Who's good? God is good, church, all the time. And all the time, God is good. He is who I rely on for goodness for my direction, for my help every day in our lives. Whether Paul's in prison, whether Paul's free, whether Paul has much, whether Paul has little, it's all right. It's going to be okay. God's got this. He's always got this. Tell me you haven't experienced in your life where things look really bad and you've gone through an experience, a turmoil, and later on in life, as you live that life, you look back and what you went through served a useful purpose for later on to God's glory. You've ever experienced that? Shake your head, yes. Give me something. Yeah. What do you find out? God's on his throne. God's in control. God's going to make this good. God loves to make things new. He does it all the time. And the last thing is deliverance of God's word. Here's an interesting thing. Likely, Paul is quoting Job. And you think he's going through a lot of trouble. Well, it would make sense to reflect on Job's life and reflect on the scriptures. Basically, what you should get from these three points is simply this. Prayer matters. The Spirit matters. Scripture matters. These are three powerful ingredients in your life that lead you to a great sense of peace and especially joy in your life. So I think of the deliverance in our lives. You remember at the beginning of the pandemic when David was preaching? He challenged, if you don't recall, let me remind you, he challenged us to memorize a verse. He thought this verse would help us through the ordeal. It was Exodus 15.2. How many of you remember that? You don't have to raise your hand. Don't do that because I'm not... I got a terrible memory, so I should never do that to other people. <laughs> but here's the verse. The Lord is my strength. Listen to the next line. 
He is my song. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord, He is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. This is a beautiful verse. He is, number one, my strength. He becomes my song and my salvation. You know, this is a song that Moses and the Israelites sang right after they crossed the, the, on dry land, and God destroyed the most powerful army in the world chasing them. And this is the song they sang. This is the song we get to sing today, too. And it's a beautiful song. It's a good, beautiful reminder David helped us through this pandemic to remain strong and trusting in Christ. So there was the second thing, or second insight. Here's the third, if you will. Representing Christ courageously. He says this in these first two verses. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He is our deliverance. He is our hope. Can you imagine the conversation Paul must have had with the Philippian, I mean, with the Roman jailers at the time? I always kind of wonder how that went. So let's pretend like they're texting each other, and let's see how that might play out. Paul, or the guards, hey, Paul, I, you don't like, I don't like you and your Messiah. We're going to kill you. Paul's response, that would be great. Dying is gain. Bring it on. The guards, on second thought, we're going to allow you to live. Paul, fantastic. Living means more fruitful, joyous labor. By the way, have you considered Jesus? You thought about him anymore? Guards, well, we're going to let you live. We're going to make, it, make you really suffer. Paul, hey guys, I consider sufferings of this present world not worth comparing with the glory that was re- to be revealed. It would fill me with great joy to suffer for the name of Jesus. I'm not sure that's exactly how the conversation went, but I would imagine that's probably fairly close to some of the things that might have been exchanged. Now, let me go to the second major part of our lesson, and this is going to 22 through 26 of chapter 1, and the lesson will be yours when we get through this. Second major thought. This is how we experience, Paul shared how we experience joy. Now he says this is how we get to express that joy. So he shares three key points here. The first one is Paul's dilemma. His dilemma was simply this. If I am to go on living in the body, that will mean more fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. Two things here. One, torn. I am torn. That's a really strong word in the Greek. It means a difficult, very difficult struggle. He's also expressing a win-win scenario. He says, if I die, great, I get to be with God. That's a wonderful thing. And if I live, ah, that's good too. I get to plant more seed. I get to, to build up the body of Christ. I get to help more people come to know Christ. It's a win-win for Paul either way. So that's his dilemma to choose between the two things. The problem is that sometimes I don't, know if, uh, I don't know if I've always caught that dilemma, but I have recently in my life as I age and get a little older. I, I want to tell you a quick story about Jeff Robinson. Uh, some of you, most of you have never heard of Jeff. Jeff preached for years and years down in Ocala, Florida. He's a good friend of mine. We worked together for 30-plus years. Did a lot of things, whip conference together. I've shared his pulpit. He's shared mine. We, we've encouraged each other through life. Uh, about four weeks ago, I was down in Orlando, Florida at a conference, and I got a call from Pam, his wife, saying Jeff was in the hospital in Orlando. So I, that evening, I went over to visit Jeff. We spent a good 30, 40 minutes together in the afternoon 
praying and talking and catching up and smiling. He was just there for some tests. He had developed some leukemia and uh, trying to figure out what's the next happening with his life. Fast forward the next week, I'm home. I text Jeff on a Saturday and I didn't hear back from the text. And then Monday, I get a call from Pam saying that Jeff had to go back to the hospital and he's gone on to be with the Lord. 65 years old. Now, for those of you thinking, oh, no, don't. You don't know Jeff like I know Jeff. Jeff was the same dilemma that Paul is in. Jeff, we and I, he, we had talked about it in the hospital. If I go on to be with the Lord, that's great. If I stay, just more proof of labor. It was a win-win for Jeff. It's always a win-win for those of us that go on to be with the Lord. So here's what happened, made me think of all of that, is just... A uh, couple of weeks ago, I came to church early, and I was doing my, getting ready to do my morning devotional, uh, but I saw this sunrise just in our parking lot, right off this side of the building, and as I was sitting there looking at that, I thought, you know, I don't think my office is a better view than this. I think I'm going to sit out in my truck and have my morning devotional, and as I'm going through my list of prayers and praise and all that in, in my thoughts, I looked over, for whatever reason, I looked over into my uh, passenger seat, and I thought of Jeff. I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool if Jeff was sitting with me right now, and we could pray together one more time, and that he could see this sunrise, and we could just both enjoy this. And then it's like the Holy Spirit flicked me on the back of the head, like I'm clueless. And he says, Joe, Jeff's got a better view than you would ever have in this world. <laughs> Think about that. Who would want to give up his view to be in the presence of God, of Jesus? Do you see Paul's dilemma? I catch it a lot more as I get older, what that dilemma is like. But here's the second key point he gives us is Paul's desire. He says this, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul, for Paul, he wasn't about, it wasn't about the reward of heaven. He doesn't really talk about heaven that way. What Paul talks about is Jesus, okay? When you go home and see somebody, family, friends, and you go to a place, do you talk about their home? Oh, I can't wait to get to their house. Oh, you might say that because you're tired of driving. That's not what you mean. What do you mean? You didn't go to their house and go, wow, this is a cool-looking house. You know, what you're looking for is the person in the house. And that's Paul. Sometimes we talk about wanting to go to heaven, the rewards of heaven. That's all well and good and fine. But let's not forget the owner of the house. That was Paul's joy. Can you imagine coming in and facing Jesus and him looking at you and you get a big hug and says well done good and faithful servant I, that's just what I imagine <laughs> isn't that a powerful wonderful thing that's Paul's desire to really have that but you know that's his desire but that's not what he decided the desire is really strong the desire is there because there was a special relationship he shared with Jesus you know depart is a nautical term. I wanted to pull that word out because it does have significance. It's a nautical term. What, it, what it's pointing to is when you're on a ship, you're attached to the moorings, but you don't go anywhere until you're unattached from the moorings. And that's what Paul is talking about here, departing. He says, I'm departing from this world to be a part of his world. I want to experience more life, abundant life. And the way he was doing that was to be able to encounter with Jesus. And it's a significant thing. Uh, help me, let me help you illustrate it in another way. So, 
You don't know who these two guys are. But this guy right here, this young man right there, is my dad. I've got two pictures of him as a, as a child. That's one of them right there. The reason I share that with you is because what you may not know is my dad grew up in a children's home. Never knew his mom and dad. He grew up in the Carolina children's home in Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, he used to say to us, to me as a kid, my dad was not a happy man growing up. It was, it was, it was really difficult and hard uh, to be around him sometimes. We kind of avoided that. I love my dad dearly. He's a great man. He's a great provider. None of that stuff. It was just it's a man that had his heart closed off. It was shielded. He used to say to me, even as I got older, nobody loves me. That's what he, I'd hear him say it all the time. Nobody loves me. I said, Dad, I love you. It's just like it didn't hear a thing. <laughs> nobody loves me. And then one day he called me up when I was in Miami. I drove up to Indiana, take him over to the children's home because he wanted to see it one more time. He just wanted to live it again. And he wanted to find his dad's grave. So anyway, I came up, did that for him. And as I'm driving over to South Carolina, he's telling me stories. And this is the first time my dad ever really told me stories about growing up. I guess they were, they were just too hard for him. But here's one story that I'll never forget. He said when he was a child, they lined them all up at the children's home in, the, in, the, in the one of the yards. When they lined them all up, there was a couple there and the, the, the gal that was the head of the home. And they were picking out who they were going to adopt. I guess that's just how they did it. And he, the couple picked somebody out. And this is what happened. My dad was not picked. So this is what happened. The man, before they left, as they were getting ready to leave, reached in his pocket and pulled out a bunch of coins. And opposite the direction they were going, he tossed the coins so he could disperse the children. And my dad ran out the coins, but he told me this. He stopped. And even at that young age, it just hit him. Is that all I'm worth? I could see why my dad shielded his heart. I could see why my dad had some bitterness in his heart, where he had rejection in his heart, where he had loneliness in his heart, where he didn't, I don't know if he could ever trust somebody to love him. But you know, grandchildren are wonderful things. They can change you, amen? They can really change you. What changed my dad and moved him from here to this man right there with my daughter was simply this. When grandchildren came into my dad's life, I can remember being up in Indiana visiting one time. My dad was holding Chad when he was small. My mom was holding Amy when she was small, and we were getting ready to leave. My wife walks over to my mom to get Amy. I walk over to my dad to get Chad he was holding, and my dad did something he'd never done before. He hugged me. And when he hugged me, he was handing me Chad. I thought he was just handing me Chad. He hugged me. But he hugged me and pulled me near, and I'll never forget what he said to me. I wish I had this to do over again. Just a second. <laughs> His heart was finally open. And you know, my kids, my children, what helped him bring him to the Lord. <laughs> and he got to know Jesus. You didn't know your children could be such great little evangelists. <laughs> but they can. Children are a wonderful blessing. Grandchildren are even better blessing, greater blessing. I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying that somewhere along the line. <laughs> Just let it go. I'm, I'm struggling. But it changed his life, and he got what he was always desiring, could never found, and he found it in the love of Christ, and he found the love of Christ in my children. Do you know you get to be that? You get to be that light to other people in life. Here's the third thing. Let me move on. I run out of time. 
So expressing that joy, if you will. Paul's decision. Here's Paul's decision, but it was more necessary for you that I remain in the body, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Notice the word joy in the faith that he's saying there. That's his target, joy in the faith. You should have faith walking with God, but you're not going to have joy until you exercise faith, step out in faith, trust God. But when you have faith and you step out and trust God, you're going to get joy. Did you catch that? It's a powerful thing. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me, he said. A couple of things here. Again, sorry, I'm a numbers guy. He said the word this, your joy of faith. He says it 16 times. You ever thought, at least I have thought when I read that, and I said, why does he mention that so many times? I found out why he mentioned that so many times. I bet you know. Because I think it's going 51 times he mentions the name of Jesus. 51 times and 104 verses. What do you think is on Paul's mind? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Savior. And you know, when he experienced Jesus that way, the next thing he said was, you'll see the word gospel nine times. His expression of Jesus is telling the good news to others. That's the connection. That's the seed that was being planted. That's the joy that he loved to share, the good news of Jesus. It really is that simple. Joy is just that simple. It's found in the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. You know, everyone wants to live. That's a great truth. Another great truth is everyone will die. But here's what the Hebrew writer said about Jesus. But there is only one way we have to have a life worth living and a death worth dying. And that is to seek the one who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you catch that? Who endured the cross. And what did he do to that? The joy set before him. Do you know the joy set before What is the joy set before Jesus? Everybody look to your left. Now look to your right. You just saw the joy of Jesus. You are his joy. You're his joy. He came and endured all that because he loves you. He wants you to be in fellowship with him. Did you know in Genesis chapter 2 that when you were creating the image of God, it says that God breathed into you the breath of life, the breath of life in the Greek Septuagint, sorry for being a little technical there, is pneuma, it's spirit. Every child, I just heard one, every child has the Holy Spirit, has the Spirit of God in them. That's what makes you made in the image. And then when we sin, we separate ourselves from that. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it how? More abundantly. The life he speaks of is renewing that spirit touched relationship and joy God calls us in life we get a chance to share that every day in life apple last thing apple if I were to ask you and I gave you this apple and said can you tell me how many seeds are in the apple would you be able to do that of course you could just cut it open count the seeds now I take that seed and I hold it out of my hand and I ask you the question how many apples are in that seed not sure you can answer that I will tell you this when you share and live the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ the gospel and you plant that seed in another person's life watch what God does as an increase God does incredibly marvelous wonderful things if you need prayer this morning understand we have a prayer place a prayer 
room in the back, understand at the West Campus they have a prayer corner, and understand online you can press the prayer button and somebody will respond and talk with you. God bless you. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>